Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back with our Star Trek rewrites part two. And of course, our apology. We know you're mad, but some other stuff came up, so we didn't have a chance to get to it right away. It's all pretty cool stuff, but uh, we know that you are just dying to hear what else we can do to just take these movies and give them an extra little shot in the arm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the, these. This is the next generation set, so it's uh, four movies this time instead of six like last time, and... I, I don't know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but um, I feel like, in some ways, there's a lot more to correct with these ones than the last six. Yeah, certainly two in particular. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Man, but some of the, uh... I mean, like, like, there's no need to bury the lead. Like, the last one on our list here is Star Trek Nemesis, which killed Star Trek for almost ten years. There was, I mean, There was no not... new material. <laughs> Let's not give it uh, sole credit here. Uh, Enterprise also did a fine job of of shoveling dirt onto that uh, that burial mound. Yeah, geez, that's a whole other podcast. Fixing Enterprise. I don't. I don't know that I am <laughs> properly equipped for that. That's ambitious. Yeah, here's there's a way to fix Enterprise. Don't make it. There's that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. It's too, too too negative. Too right. Negative. It's, I'm it's, sorry. it's a lot. It's you know what? It's pandemic. It's isolation madness. We're all a little bit cranky. You know, Enterprise had a long road. I, just, I, can't, I can't do that joke anymore. That was one of my favorite jokes. And then Riker did it on Lower Decks. And now it's now it just feels kind of sad. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that feels like a conversation for another time as well. That's fair. Let's do it. We're talking about the four Star Trek The Next Generation movies. Some are good. Some aren't. All of them could use just a little bit of nip and tuck to really take them from what they were and make them something better than what they are. And as people who have devoted a disproportionate amount of their lives towards Star Trek, uh, Graham and I are the people. Yeah, we are the experts, the subject matter experts to resolve that situation. Um, let's uh, let's get moving. We've got a lot to say and only so much time. So let's jump into the first one, Star Trek Seven, picking up right where we left off, with Star Trek Generations from 1994. Yeah, it, uh, it came out in November 1994, uh, less than a year after the series went off the air, which is kind of impressive, but also kind of crazy that they, they jumped into production that quickly. Directed by David Carson, who had done some episodes of the TV series, and written by Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga, two of the big-name writers on the uh, the TV series. Uh, it was actually a, a, what they call in the industry, I think, a bake-off, where Michael Piller also wrote a script for the movie, and they, they decided to go with Moore and Braga's version instead. This is the movie that is officially doing the feature film handoff from the cast of the original series to the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation. And appropriately enough, we've got elements of both in there. Um, so we open on the the maiden voyage of the Enterprise B, an Excelsior type, which has sort of guest luminaries on board for the occasion, the very elderly and much revered Admiral James T. Kirk and Scotty and Chekhov, because other members of the cast declined to appear. Uh, say what you will. 
Uh, of course, the because it's an adventure movie, the Enterprise B's maiden voyage is anything but routine. They get a distress signal from a couple of civilian refugee ships trapped in a mysterious energy ribbon. Cool space anomaly thing. Um, the Enterprise B manages to rescue some of the crew, but gets itself caught in the ribbon. Uh, Kirk goes to run down to deflector control, I think it is. Uh, Kirk goes to save the ship to fixing a technical problem, uh, and and then is blown out into space and killed. And that's how James Kirk dies, as far as anyone knows. Heroically saving yet another Enterprise. What a legacy. Skip ahead to 78 years later, where the crew of the Enterprise D are still playing on the holodeck. Um, fine, you know what? It's a fun scene. I don't need to dig on it. Um, that Worf, a good old Klingon tactical guy, is getting promoted from lieutenant to lieutenant commander. Uh, there is a misunderstanding, as usual, with regards to data and how to fit into social situations, and he decides to uh, install the emotion chip that they recovered during the run of the show, uh, but never used. So now Brent Spiner is allowed to act, which is fun. Well, um, just a different kind of acting, but yes. Well, yes, he's 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 allowed to show emotions. He gets, yeah, he gets to emote. Yeah, uh, they answer a distress signal uh, from there's there's uh, it doesn't really matter. They, they answer the distress signal. They go to a place. It turns out the guy they're rescuing is the bad guy. It's Malcolm McDowell, um, and he was actually on that ship. We recognize him from the Enterprise B thing. Um, he blows up a star. Very dramatically, and the Enterprise barely escapes. Um, he's from the same species as Guinan, the Elorians, so they talk to her, and she reveals that that energy ribbon thing is actually a door into an extra-dimensional space called the Nexus, which is a realm of pure joy. All right. And Soren is trying to get back there, but when he flies a spaceship into there, as seen in the opening of this movie, the spaceships blow up. So instead, he's blowing up stars, which cause gravity disturbances that move the ribbon. Uh, he's getting it so that the Nexus, like he blows up all the right stars, the Nexus will fly down onto a planet and he can just stand there and get absorbed by it. Apparently, he's never heard of spacesuits um, seems like it would be a lot easier than blowing up stars, but hey, I'm not an ancient, super all-knowing, all-powerful Elarian. What do I know? Uh, they try to stop him, and they fail. Um, Picard is unable to overcome Soren, and the Enterprise is defeated by Lursa and Bator from the House of Duras, uh, recurring villains from Star Trek. The Enterprise D is destroyed. Uh, Picard is unable to stop Soren, so he blows up the star, it blows up the planet they're on. He and Soren both end up in the Nexus. Picard has everything he ever wanted, um... The, the, everything he always wanted, yeah, is is a family, which is brand new information. It's not the Picard we know and love, but no, again. It's also a family that's apparently from the 1800s, <laughs> so that's another thing. Um, it, geez, I mean, it feels like it's taking forever to get through all this. There's just so much material that has to be addressed. Oh, and there's all the stuff we didn't talk about, like Data is having trouble fitting in because he can't control his emotions. Nobody cares. Um but in the anyway, Picard's in the Nexus. He realizes it's not real. He wants out. But you know who else is in the Nexus? Jim Kirk, apparently. Kirk also is has everything he ever wanted, which was never 
conveyed to us before and actually completely contrary from what we understand about the character. He's living a life, you know, an imaginary life where he never went back to Starfleet and he decided to marry this new love interest that we've never heard of before instead. Picard convinces him instead because it's not real to go back. They leave the Nexus and back in time a little because why not? And they do stop Soren from blowing up the star, but Kirk dies. Uh, this time for real, and the Enterprise-D is still destroyed, and everything is okay. So, oh god, that that was the quick version. I've left stuff out. This this movie is a lot. Yeah, and and you, it feels rushed on so many levels. It, it probably, yeah, it needed more time to bake, I think, and that's what we're here for. Yeah. So, thing one, I mean, which I didn't cover in my recitation because there's no reason to do it and there's no reason to have it impact anything, but let's let's not burn Picard's family to death in a fire. Why was <laughs> yeah. that in this movie? Off screen and for very little anything. Like, it didn't, didn't really... Uh, the only reason it's there is to make Picard sad so that when he's in the Nexus, like, sad about his family so that it justifies why he has a family in the Nexus. But he's never given us any, like, never has that come up for his character in seven years that he's ever wanted to do anything besides be captain of a starship. In fact, we've heard quite the opposite, right? That all he ever wanted was Starfleet Academy, like, to escape from the vineyard. And, you know, we've met this family, and he fights with Robert because he left the vineyard behind to be Starfleet. Where does this come from? Like, why? Where did the writers get this idea? It's, I mean, it's torturous to Picard, you know, to kill all these people, even Renee. And, but and it also doesn't suit the character. And it, you would think, oh, well, I guess this is just people who don't know the show very well or don't know the characters very well. And yet these two guys have been on the show for years. They're, they're, they've written some of the best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. If anyone should know the characters of the, the this franchise would be these guys. So very confusing. Yeah, so that's our first change. We're not going to have any mention. Like, it doesn't have to come up at all, but no, we're not burning his family to death. We're not doing that to the guy that doesn't add anything to the movie. That's not happening. We'll figure out something else in the Nexus. We'll get to that. So the I, next thing... Oh, frankly, sorry. I, I kind of... I have I don't even want Kirk and and the original series crew in this at all. Interesting. Tell me more. I, it's it's a Star Trek: The Next Generation movie. They I don't think they need Kirk and Co there, and really it's just Kirk. And I don't know. Like like as soon as Kirk shows up, it becomes the Kirk show, and Picard doesn't really get to do have any hero moments. N- none of our main cast really have any hero moments uh, jim kirk saves the day and that's that right uh, and i don't i think that's a disservice i mean i would i i kind of like the final showdown and the banter between the two of them and picard is still very formal and kirk is still very old west captain yeah. i will circle around this way let's do this way. call me jim <laughs> i i kind of like that i think that ending up picard and kirk is a lot of fun and I also acknowledge that yes, the movies feel like they have to do a handoff. So I'm, I'm willing to. I, I'm happy with the intro for that. I, I guess it could be cut down a little. I I would argue that the handoff was McCoy and Data in the uh, encounter at Farpoint. Like I, I think that's the only handoff you need. I don't even think you need that, frankly. But that's we're past the handoffs at this point. Next generation is its own thing. But I will grant you. 
it would require a much more thorough rewrite if we lose that part. What I do think needs fleshing out is Lursa and Bator. They they were recurring villains on Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and they're pretty much afterthoughts in this, and their deaths are are afterthoughts. And like half the time I I am watching the series again, I get to a point where their last appearance in Deep Space Nine, and I'm always like. Whatever happened to those two? Because I forget they're even in this movie. Uh, that's hmm. Okay, see, we've got like two very different things. Like Lursa and Bator to me were always sort of the early game villain. Like you, you know, in any video game where it starts off, it's like the first villain is like the big goblin, and then you you defeat him and forget all about him by the time you get to the like you know the actual villain who's really God but also the devil. You know, 40 hours into the role-playing game. Like, Lursa right. and Bator are low-level enforcers, I feel like. They had their time to shine in uh, in the two-parter, in Redemption. But I, I kind of like that they are sort of playing second fiddle to Malcolm McDowell, both as characters and, you know, give acting chops. <laughs> well, I don't know why you have to kill them, then. I think because they don't matter, is what I'm getting at. It doesn't matter if I, they but, live or die. I don't think I, they're like, that important. Many... How many recurring villains are there in in the Star Trek franchise to begin with, and and then to to just get rid of them so offhandedly? I don't know. It feels like a disservice to them. Well, well give me this: what if they survived? What would they do next? Well, I don't even necessarily want them to to survive. Like I'm I'm I I, I guess they would continue showing up on Deep Space Nine to bother Worf. But, you know, who knew that Worf was even going to end up on DS9 at this point? But if you are going to kill them, I think you need to make them a more substantial villain or at least a more substantial presence in the movie. He'll hit me. What's your pitch? Just have them around more. Like, they're, they're, they barely show up. I, I don't even know what you have them do, but... Well, yeah, I they, think that you're answering your own question here. They don't have anything to do. So they're, then use someone else. They're bad guys. So they, 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 okay, but you just were complaining that well, like, there are so few recurring villains. Yeah, so... So they brought uh, a recurring villain back and ended recurring them. Yeah, exactly. Let them continue recurring on Deep Space Nine or something. I, I don't understand why you bring them in here have characters that are established from the show so that, like, new viewers are going to have no idea who they are. Like, if you are coming for Kirk, you're going to be like, who are these two ladies? So they don't matter on that level. They're not bringing anyone into the audience. And for fans of them from the show, you're going to be like, well, why why kill them this way? Is anyone Let them a Lursa Bator fan? Really? I, you think I they were that important? You they're out there. No, but they're they're they had a good presence on the show, and I I think especially the way Deep Space Nine went, there could have been an interesting arc for them there. I I really don't think there's anything they haven't already done. They've already tried to take over the Empire and failed. I don't think there's any more meat in those bones. Okay, so what what is the benefit of of having them as opposed to random new Klingons? It's like that you don't have to cast new people and design new makeup. Like you have, you have this dangling story arc. Like you know, you have this dangling. But they don't even address the, the story arc. This is what happened. They, uh, you know, know. they lost. They fled. They've been low level nobodies since, and this time it finally got them killed. I don't know. We're going in circles now, but I don't think you're going to convince me that. This movie needs more Lursa and Bator. I, I think their story's been told. I I just think, you know, 
I, I, I think if you, if it's anyone else, you don't have any questions like this. If it's just random villainous Klingons, then it makes it's. I don't know. It doesn't bother me as much that Sauron is bossing around and and is completely dominating them. With Luz and Bator, there's there's ground there. There's a history, and and it's not really addressed. Eh. But it's fine. Let's move on. All right. Well, we'll compromise. Like I'll I'll take your cutting the Enterprise B if you'll take my not changing much about Lursa and Bator. Uh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, next thing I want to hit is we need to we need to redo Soren's plan a little because what we've seen of his plan is that if he flies a ship into the Nexus, he's worried he'll get rescued. So instead, he has to blow up stars to get the Nexus to fly into a planet that he's standing on. Right. Like, doesn't it seem a lot easier just to, like, for him to get a shuttlecraft and fly into the Nexus? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And it's it's very bizarre. Yeah. I'm trying. I've been, And I've been trying, like, well, I guess it was blowing up the ships, but we see demonstrably that still works because... You know, big Nexus lightning bolt hits the Enterprise B and blows it up and Kirk flies out and he's fine. He's in the Nexus. That's great. How do we... Either we need a new way to get Soren from ship passenger to star blower upper, or we need to change how like what he's doing to get into the Nexus. Now, the thing about him blowing up stars is this adds tension for, the, for our heroes because he's going to blow up the solar system and there's a planet with millions of people on it. Um, so they, they like so there's stakes, right? Yeah, and it also, yeah. I well, just like as a side thing, I like the fact that he's blowing up stars, but it's never the Earth is in danger. I get so tired of Earth always being the thing that's in danger in these movies. Yeah, fair. Um, so then, and I'm going back and forth on this. Do we keep the blowing up stars and find a way to justify it, or do we find a new? villainous thing he's doing that's going to hurt people that the Enterprise wants to save. And I haven't been able to come up with a good, like, answer for either of those approaches. Well, I, what if you have it so that the the um, the Nexus entrances are they seem to appear at random, and they like no one knows when it's going to appear. Like in the movie, it's just flying across space, and you can track it, and you can see where it's going to be. It seems like it's hard to miss, frankly. So what if you set it up so that it's he's creating these gravity wells to draw it and, and the blowing up stars is the only way that he can can control exactly where it's going to go. The, okay. The something about the yeah, star that's, blowing up, does it? That's great. Yeah, yeah. You blow up a couple of stars near each other and the overlapping like gravitational waves messes with subspace and, you know, tachyons and stuff. And that causes the energy ribbon. Yeah, and there tachyons are usually time things anyway, so it works even better. Yeah, that's, man, we came up with that fast and they have nothing. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so now we have a reason for him to blow up stars, makes the ribbon appear, also handily explains why other people haven't tried to, like, you mean if I go here, I can live an eternal existence of pure joy? Like Right, although the idea of what happens to you when you get hit by the Nexus wouldn't be well known because there's not many people who've been rescued from it. So there's that, too. That's why I think even in this movie, it explains why why Sauron's the only one going for it. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's good. So that takes care of that. That takes care of some of the major hits. 
what's next on this exhausting list? Um, okay, so Picard, what when Picard goes into the Nexus, what is his actual, what does he really want? Hmm. I, it really feels like the way they've set him up in the show, being the captain of a ship is what he really wants. Right? Like, what else is there? Fencing master? Uh, he doesn't like to act, even though he, you know, is, does Shakespeare stuff. He's uh, he's always bowing out of Beverly's plays. So then, do we do oh, sort of oh. a... Th- Here's... I mean, this would require a knowledge of the show going into it, but what if it takes him back to his, his inner life life? Well, that's going to be pretty... That's going to be difficult for, for a movie-going audience. Yeah, but that... I mean, I agree. I don't know that that's the right answer for this, but just in the abstract, just knowing the show as well as we do, whoa, what fan service. What a nice touch that would be. Yeah, he ends up back in Inner Light with his family there, playing the flute. Not bad. Not bad. But then it sort of implies that he prefers that life over his own, which I don't think is true. No, but it is a life that he lived for, what, 50 years, maybe 60 years, and and had a, a loving family and an important role in a, a society. Maybe <laughs> oh. it's like... So, and, that's, and, and maybe that's how he breaks out of it how like in in this movie he realizes it's not real because of like a christmas ornament or something like it's pretty yeah. lame in this one he's there and he has this perfect life back but deep down it's not it's not his perfect life right like deep down he knows the enterprise is what he wanted and that's what triggers the wait a minute this isn't real thing yeah like he's that's good kind of like a grass is greener thing like well he doesn't it, it, he longs for that life he he misses it but he even in that moment he knows like he it triggers that it was fake it wasn't real like there's something there that reminds him that even at the time when he was living that life it wasn't real yeah that's cool a little fan servicey i feel like we couldn't pitch it to paramount but this is our list damn it we can do what we want i like yeah I, I, that's really growing on me nice Okay, I think that hits a lot of the major notes that we have to correct. There's still some small things, like nobody's uniform fits in this movie because they have the wrong uniforms. It's infuriating. Do Uh, you know the the behind-the-scenes thing on that? Yeah, yeah, like they were going to create new uniforms and ditched them at the last minute, so they used a mix of DS9 and Next Generation uniforms, like whatever they could get their hands on. It's they, so weird. Except they did it poorly because they like they change which one they're wearing. Some people's change over the course of the movie. So you see a lot of like like for, like for those of you who aren't obsessed with Starfleet uniforms, just watch Star Trek Generations again. You'll see some people have the like the full color uniform with the black shoulders, and some people have the opposite, the colored shoulders and the black uniform, and sometimes they switch. Yeah, like Riker goes back and forth, I think. Yeah, um, Jordy, I think, sticks with his, but it just, it looks like he's wearing a poncho. It doesn't fit at all. <laughs> it's, that's a mess. That, that, that we clean up. Um, yeah, it's like in that movie, just if you decide not to get everyone into the new DS9 uniforms, just have everyone in the classic Trek uniforms. They have to still have them, right? Apparently they didn't. Like, it's just <laughs> what, like, I don't know what they were doing, but hey. So weird. So here, here's another little thing I want to do, and and something that might um might 
justify more Larson and Bator. If we're going to have Kirk still involved in this, I, I want to have a scene on the Enterprise B where, or, or I want to have a scene somewhere where Sauron and, and Kirk interact. I want them to have met each other and there to be some sort of connection with them, even if it's just a brief one. And then when, when, uh, Picard is talking with him, he's like, Oh, that guy, I remember that guy who was a prick. Let me uh, help you. And it gives him extra justification to leave. And then I want to have it like when they're both fighting Sauron, it feels like overkill and, and Kirk does everything. And then Picard does the thing where he keeps the missile launcher locked on the pad and it blows up and whatever. But you can have Kirk do all of that. It's that's classic Kirk action hero shenanigans. How about we have a thing where before the Nexus stuff hits, the Enterprise gets completely destroyed. Everyone dies and Picard sees that. Then when they come out of the Nexus, Kirk goes to fight Sauron and stop that. And Picard ends up either on the Duras's ship or on the Enterprise and gives them the warning or gives them the edge that they need to at least survive. Like, I don't mind the Enterprise blowing up and us getting the Enterprise-E because, my God, the Enterprise-E. But I want Picard's action hero moment. I want him to have his own moment where he's not just second fiddle to Kirk, where he gets to do something to save the Enterprise or at least save the crew. Okay. Okay, yeah. So so Kirk does all the, you know, two-fisted, like, Kirk-Fu fighting stuff on the Red Planet, because, of course, that's his specialty. Picard goes back to the Enterprise. I guess with his warning, they're able to make the saucer separation in time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I like that. Nice. Because as it stands, I really feel like as soon as Shatner's on the scene, Picard is so much of a second fiddle, it's it's insulting. Yeah, the and, action is definitely more Shatner's stuff than it is Patrick Stewart's. Yeah, I, I mean, as the series goes on, we get more and more into action Picard, but here, let's stick with TV show Picard and have him do something that saves the day in his own way. Deal. Nice. Okay, I think we got it. Um, I wanted to. I want to redo some of the lighting here and there. Just some technical details where we're at it. This movie is lit. It's so bizarre. Uh, there's like there's a scene early on in the captain's ready room. I think it's supposed to be because they're close to the star. But like there's like Riker is casting this huge shadow across the the ready room, and not in a dramatic way. Just in, like it's it's very weird technical choices. Like we'll clean that up along with the uniforms. But these plot changes. Do we want to do something about the emotion ship? I don't think so. I'm not a huge fan of Data can't control his laughing or Data can't control his whatever, but it is a cool plot point that allows Lursa and Bator to capture Geordi, right? Which allows them to put the bug in his visor, which allows them to blow up the Enterprise. Like, that's a pretty good through point. Right. So yeah, I, th yeah. I think we keep it. Okay. Um. So so how about, it, just to fix your lighting thing, maybe we get a movie director, like like... I no disrespect. David Carson really hasn't gone on to do much of any note since that movie. So why don't we just get someone with a, some more of a handle on the movie side of things and let them take the reins and and go with it? Maybe that fixes some of the uh, technical issues you were talking about. Yeah, maybe that's all it is. Okay, I think print cut. I think we got it. <laughs> it okay, so slightly enhanced Star Trek Generations. We spent a lot of time on that one. I have a feeling we're not going to spend much time on this one. Star Trek First Contact, um, 1996, I think? Yep, November 22nd. Arguably the best Star Trek movie. 
I, I mean, I don't want to spoil any potential future top fives, but this would definitely be high in my top five. So, uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes, again, written by Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, and uh, it, it's, I mean, do you want me to do the plot synopsis? Go for it. So, the Enterprise uh, E, is we get this beautiful shot of it, it's our first time seeing it, it's it's a wonderful ship, and uh, they're, it's charting a new nebula or whatever, and, and we see all of our favorite characters in their fancy new gray and black uniforms, and... Uh, then there's a, a Picard has a scary dream where he's back with the Borg, and then it turns out that the Borg are attacking Earth, and uh, the Enterprise has to has to sit this one out because they don't they don't think Picard is trustworthy since he used to be a Borg. Um, Data says uh, to hell with our orders, so they go to to Earth, and there's a big Borg cube, and everyone's getting their asses kicked, and Picard is like, ah, I know exactly how to beat this thing. Everyone shoot here. Everyone shoots there. The ship blows up and a Borg sphere comes out and starts heading towards Earth and no one can stop it. Uh, they beam Worf aboard and uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation and now they're part of the Enterprise crew. And then the Borg sphere starts to go back in time and the Enterprise E follows it and they, they end up going back to the year, I think it's 2063. Uh, so, you know, not far off from where we are now. And the Borg uh, are going to assimilate Earth before they're in a position to do anything about it, before humanity can stop them. And uh, the Enterprise kind of divides in two. The, the Borg ship attacks the uh, Earth and blows up a bunch of stuff and wrecks some of the, the stuff that's going to be the Phoenix, the ship that uh, launches warp travel for humanity. So Riker and most of the crew go to help fix the Phoenix, and Picard and uh data are like stay on the enterprise which is slowly become infested with borg and they gotta fight off the borg queen this new character who is well, until now the behind the scenes uh mastermind of the borg uh which kind of ruins the borg but we'll we'll get into that later uh shenanigans ensue the borg take over the ship uh picard doesn't want to blow up the ship even though that'll save the day uh eventually uh, the Zephram Cochran, the guy who who invents warp drive for humanity, his assistant Lily convinces Picard that that's the thing to do. That he he can't be the Moby Dick guy and and let his Ahab. quest for vengeance for Ahab, Ahab. <laughs> can't let that quest for vengeance destroy him and uh, at the same time is destroying the Borg. So, uh, but but he has to go stay behind and save Data, who's being captured by the Borg Queen and seduced into revealing the codes that she needs to take over the ship properly. Um, but and Picard rescues Data. They kill the Borg Queen. The Phoenix takes off with Riker and Jordy and Zephram Cochran on board, and and they they contact the Vulcans. First contact happens in the Star Trek we know and love. Um, it goes on as as we all knew it would, and then the Enterprise hand waves time travel and ends up back in the future again. Oof! How'd okay. I do? At, uh, yeah, it's a lot to get through. I think he covered all the important points. It, um, I like when you watch this movie. A lot of it is character driven. Like there's some great effects. The space battle is a lot of fun. The the cool new Borg makeup makes its debut here. Um, but a lot of it is just how amazing James Cromwell is. Like how the next generation cast reacts to to him. Essentially, um, 
Picard's descent, we could say, into action Picard is kind of excused because he does a great job of emoting, and he has before, of like how traumatic the, the Borg experience was to him. And he's not thinking clearly, and that comes through. Um, it's I was just saying, it's hard to cover in a summary, especially a quick recited one for a podcast, but like this movie is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I love it, and and I'm reluctant to change anything about it for fear that it'll it'll wreck the magic. Yeah. Now there is one point that I do want to play with, and I've talked about this a bit in the show before, but now we're going to confront it head on. I I don't hmm. I, I the Borg Queen, the character of the Borg Queen. Like I like she did a great job. Like the actress was great. The you know the way that like, it bounced off other characters was great. But as a concept, I don't like the Borg Queen. And in my prime timeline, First Contact doesn't have a Borg Queen. It has the Borg as we traditionally saw them. And I I kind of want to see that movie because I think the Borg are a lot scarier, like as a horror concept. And I think like making a villain, especially the villain choice they went with, like where it was the the sexy femme fatale villain, I I feel like that started the decline of the Borg. That like this was this was bad for the Borg, and it only got worse from this point on. I I agree, but I don't know how you do the movie. Or I feel like taking her out changes a lot of the movie going forward. Or at least it makes it a lot less personal. It does, but I think a lot of what makes it personal about her is between her and Data. And frankly, I strongly dislike that. We spend a lot of time with her and Data back and forth, and basically her position is, like, yo, Data, why don't you come join the Borg? Because if you do, we'll give you skin, and then you can fuck me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it, she, like, it, it, she blows on his arm and gets the goosebumps, and then, it, was it good for you? <laughs> that happens in this movie, and... I'm just saying that that's the attitude she comes in with, and it's kind of from what like the Borg is a cybernetic hive mind that is absorbing entire species into itself for millennia. Like it's now this godlike cyborg brain entity. I just I don't see it playing a Bond girl. I I feel like it doesn't add up, and before conversations with the Borg have just been with this, you know, omnipresent voice. Just, you know, the, the best of both worlds before Locutus, where it's like on the view screen, it's just the hallway of drones. And like Picard is constantly doing his Picard stuff and the Borg's like, that's irrelevant. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that's great. I think that's a really cool thing. But if you take her out... I don't know what you do with the whole data subplot. Like, that's a lot of real estate to try and fill. I think instead of having it data, don't you want a penis? You do it as, like, what we learn about the Borg is, like, they, it's at least strongly implied that they originate with an organic race that wanted to, like, technify themselves. Like, they think machine is better, right? Yeah. So data as a pure mechanical creature is like perfection to them. 
I think what you do is instead of having that kind of seduction thing back and forth, you have the Borg saying, like, look, we're, we don't want to just assimilate you. We want to emulate you. We want you to join us voluntarily because we want to be like you. And I think there's lots of cool stuff to explore there because Data's whole arc over the whole show has been he doesn't want to be a machine. He wants to be a human. And you're going to have a lot of back and forth on what that means. I think that can all be explained that you can do the same exposition drops for the audience and you know how the Borg work. Well, you know, who's what, he talking to? He's just talking to it like I mean the the way I see it if I'm shooting it that like that room where he's when he's captured is full of drones doing stuff, right? The yeah. way I the way I do it if I'm shooting it is I have the drones are still doing stuff and whichever one is near him is carrying on the conversation. So, like, one is walking by and will say one sentence and keep moving, and then another one will be nearby and pick up the sentence. And you get this cool, like, you get to see, and like, as it goes on, more and more Starfleet crew members have been assimilated. And maybe mm. we even recognize a few of the, you know, the guys in the hallway, oh, be captain, ah, but right. now they're or there. like Hawk. Yeah, like Hawk. It, maybe it is. Well, no, Hawk gets blown off, and that's pretty awesome, actually. I'll simulate this. <laughs> but, uh, like, but, you know, so now he's talking to former crew members or random aliens, but always in that same Borg voice. Okay. And I think, and I think, I think that's a really fun way to shoot it. I like that a lot. It, um, it, you know, they, they help him with the hive mind kind of thing. And I think it helps because then when Picard goes down to rescue him, like, the tension there, like, he tries to turn the seduction back on her in this movie. It's, you, know, you wanted a consort. Well, Locutus can be with you once again. It's like, jeez. Uh, Instead of that, you have Data there. I mean, we know from watching the movie, but Data there sort of pretending like Captain the Borg have made some pretty fucking good points, frankly about this whole hive mind thing. And Picard is, no, Data, it's all about individuals. Like, what happened to you wanting to be a person, yada, yada. And you can have the same fake out where it looks like Data is joining them and he launches the torpedoes and buys time. And then and then he blows up the, what is it, the, um, the coolant on the side of, the, of engineering to melt all the Borg again. Yeah. But instead of the final conflict being like hanging from the rope and the queen's like hanging on to Picard's leg and he does like a Tarzan swing. The final conflict is this examination of like individuality versus the collective whole between Picard and Data and the Borg. And it's it's almost a little bit more like drumhead-ish at the end. Okay. I I I think you lose something. Like there there's something very cathartic when when they kill the queen and it feels more final but i'm interested to see how your version would play out like i i would want to read that script for sure all right so we'll t we'll take that one as a maybe yeah i i'm i'm intrigued and i do agree that the the changes to the borg in this are are i i think they're cool in this movie but everything that happens with them after is is clearly like all the problems from Voyager and Enterprise that, that are, we have with the Borg originate with this movie, which is they, hard for frankly, me to say because I love this movie so much. And they, frankly, it originates from the Borg Queen. Like, the new technology yeah. and makeup and, like, all the effects, like, all that stuff is great. It's just that the idea of what the Borg are changes dramatically for this movie, and 
it it holds itself together just long enough for a movie, not long enough for the whole franchise. Doing it this way, we get to examine more of the cooler part of the Borg. And then maybe we have a fun future where that's the Borg we see for the rest of Star Trek instead of the, you know, instead of what they, instead of the Borg teen power squad. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I honestly couldn't think of anything I'd want to change for the movie. Um, there's, there's nitpicky things, but I really feel like any, for, for me, any change associated with those would potentially do more harm than good. Like spending time figuring out how they time travel back to the future. It really doesn't matter. And I don't care. Let's just, uh, go with it. I mean, it would be cool if the defiant could be involved in some way since they have it at the beginning of the movie. But again, Let's just let it go as is, because it's it's such a well-put-together film. Yeah, a few dialogue corrections here or there. There's some confusion about the size of the ship, how many decks it has, little tiny things like that. On the whole, it's, yeah, we keep it. It's great. The performances are great. The writing is great. The directing is great. The jokes are great. It just, it's, it's yeah, this may be the best Trek movie, even even without my little upgrades. Let's move on. So, next is uh, Star Trek Insurrection, December 11th, 1998. They were on a good uh, movie every two years run. Uh, Jonathan Frakes is back in the director's chair, Commander Riker himself. This one is written by Michael Piller. He gets sole writing credit. Good for him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's a great book that he wrote that they, they the studio approved right up until he finished, and then they decided not to do it, and so it never got published, but it is available online if you can find it. And he goes in great detail into the writing of this movie, and it's a fascinating window into the studio system and to pleasing all the people involved and exactly how a bad movie gets made. And I don't blame Michael Piller for, like, one inch of this movie because it is a lot of people to please yeah you yeah the movie by committee and it shows this one is less good uh okay i guess it's my turn to try this one Jeez. yeah i can't wait to do nemesis uh so they start off so we're on a primitive planet um and we see that there are some federation people and some new guys we haven't seen these weird stretchy face looking people like observing them with like invisibility suits and from behind a, I guess, a cloaked lab or something. Uh, and then there's chaos. What's going on? Oh, it's Data. Uh, he's there and he's like, he's fighting the other Federation guys and he exposes, like he tears off his invisible suit and now the primitive people can see him and he uh, exposes the, all the people who are watching. And now this, you know, it's a prime directive violation. We've seen this before where they observe primitive species. Well, now they've been exposed. Cut to the Enterprise, where they're doing diplomatic stuff that apparently they don't like to do diplomatic stuff anymore, because that happened between the show and the movies at some point. They're all complaining about doing diplomacy, which is weird for these characters. Um, they get a hail from this Admiral, Admiral Dougherty, who's like, hey, your, your, your android went nuts and attacked us. We need his blueprints. And Picard's like, oh, yeah, okay, um, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll be right there. And the Admiral's all, no, 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 no. Don't come yourselves. Just send us the blueprints. Okay, bye. And Picard says, well, that's weird. Let's go anyway. So they show up, and uh, much to the Admiral's displeasure, uh, we find out that these stretchy face guys are the Sona, a new species introduced to this movie. 
Um, and there is a brief aside with Riker and Troy at this point where they do a bit of an exposition dump and the sonar are bad guys. They're pirates and they use illegal weapons and they're they're making drugs for the Dominion. And it's like, why are we working with them? Boy, these, these seem like real bad guys, but I'm sure it's not important. So let's not worry about it. Um, Picard and Worf go and they manage to recapture data using Gilbert and Sullivan because <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, they find out the data was malfunctioning uh, because he was shot and it messed up like his computer brain. Um, why? So people were shooting at data before he malfunctioned and attacked them. So what's going on? Uh, they investigate. Uh, they meet these primitive people, the Baku. Uh, they learn that the Baku are actually not primitive. They've just sworn off technology and decided to live like it's the 19th century on Earth. Um, also, they're all super smart and super coordinated. Uh, and uh, Picard and one of them, a woman, get really close and they have sort of a romance. And also she can stop time sometimes, but it doesn't really show up in the movie much. It's not very important. She just stops time sometimes. That's a thing that she can do with no explanation. Um, they follow like Data's path from when this incident happened, and they find that the Federation has built a cloaked ship that's a giant holodeck, and they also discover around the same time that they're getting younger on this planet, and the Baku are like, oh yeah, totally, this planet has like weird sci-fi things in the rings that when you live here, like you're, you get younger, and you stay young forever, and you become immortal. And Picard realizes that, well, what's going on is the Federation and the Zona are working together to load the Baku up into the ship and move them off the planet so that they can have the planet for themselves, essentially. And when he confronts the Admiral, we get a little more details. It's they're going to take the sci-fi particles out of the planet's rings to like go use them to, like for study and medicine and stuff. But that's going to poison the planet. So they're just going to move the Baku so they don't notice. And Picard's like, this is the Trail of Tears. This is a history book. You can't do this. This sucks. And the Admiral's like, yeah, but, I mean, it's, yeah, it's sort of illegal, but also it's the Fountain of Youth, so we're doing it anyway. So Picard and the crew of the Enterprise decide to rebel against that and protect the Baku, and that's where the title Insurrection comes up. Um, they're all getting younger now, so, like, Riker shaves his beard and Worf gets a pimple, um, Dr. Crusher and Troy talk about their boobs. That's, I'm not making that up. That's not a Jesse exaggeration. That's a real thing that happens in this movie. Basically, by younger, the crew become teenagers in adult bodies. It's a nightmare. Uh, there's some action stuff for a while. Surprise, surprise, the Sonar are actually even more bad guys than we thought. Um, they end up killing the Admiral and try to blow up the Enterprise, which is sent off to go get help. Uh, Riker and Geordi, I think, are the ones still on the ship while everyone else is down on the planet playing Teenage Commando. Um, they find out that the Sona are actually Baku who were exiled, and now they're doing a revenge plot, kind of. Didn't and they kind of exile themselves? No, no. They tried to no. take over the oh. the Baku because they wanted to use technology, and the Baku said no and kicked them off. So now they're coming back to take the age stuff. Um, because it doesn't really get a lot they, of explanation. I, I mean, they're obsessed with they're doing all the plastic surgery stuff to make themselves look younger and defy aging because they're desperate to have that back from, from when they were on the planet. So now they want to 
take it away from their their parents and and have it for themselves. It, yeah, it sure. kind of tracks, but it's I don't know that it they. It's not great. Put it but on it's Front there. Street. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's some action stuff. Um, Picard and the head of the Sona have an, an action fight on a bizarre set. Um, Riker flies the Enterprise with a joystick for some reason that like pops out of the middle of the floor of the bridge. Not really explained why. Um, that in the end, Picard kills the head stretchy face Sona guy, and then everyone agrees to get along again. And there are no other repercussions. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, I struggled coming up with stuff for this one because it's such a mess. Um, my my main thing, if you do you mind if I jump in? Go for it, man. I do this movie. I say if we're going to do a whole story about exploitation and, and uh, finite resources and environmental stuff, let's let's go let's drop some of the other junk that's in this movie let's get rid of the sona entirely like they they all they're there for is to muddle the what could be an interesting conversation about um about first world countries and colonization and and exploitation of resources by by having our our like america uh, or, you know, the Federation is basically standing in or Starfleet is standing in for America in this. And to have them having these bad guys whispering in their ears and getting them to do bad things takes away all their responsibility. It takes away all their, all agency. their agency. Yeah. Have if you're going to make Starfleet the bad guy, let's go all the way. Have them be the bad guys. Give have it be an admiral. We know make it like Necheyev or or make Jellico the admiral. Bring him back. Have Ronnie Cox be the villain again. And have him be the face of this and be like, look, we're we're the Federation. We are always the good guys. We know what we're doing. We need these resources. These poor people don't know what they've got and they're not using it properly. So we're going to move them so that we can use the stuff better than they can. Have that be the plot and really dive into to the, the what you're trying to say, the environmental and cultural message of this. Instead of all the yuck yuck shenanigans of like my boobs and my yeah, shape my face and and it's as smooth as a bit android's bottom and let's all make that. that clear that's two changes so we're dropping the sona because they're <laughs> unnecessary and interesting but we're also dropping the fountain of youth thing right yeah i mean especially since these are all actors who are are in like deep in middle age at this point and all of the youth stuff is conveyed through bad jokes and not through any sort of de-aging makeup or effects, and so it doesn't really carry any water. Ugh, I'm so glad you said that, because I was worried it was just me. I mean, the the idea of taking my favorite Star Trek characters and making a movie based on what if they were teenagers <laughs> is so offensive to me. And admittedly, I mean, I'm an old curmudgeon. I hated teenagers when I was a kid. I hated teenagers when I was a teenager. I hate teenagers <laughs> now. Right. Everything about that life, that part of life just bugs the crap out of me and forcing it on these characters so dear to my heart. I was worried that was a personal thing. I am so glad that another voice has agreed to me. It does not work. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's out of nowhere and it doesn't serve any purpose. And honestly, I I would also take out the romance angle with Picard, at least with with An Anuj. Is that her name? Throw it in if you're gonna 
do a romance plot for him. Beverly is right there. Beverly has so little to do in all of these movies. Give her something to do. She's been the long-touted love interest since day one on Next Generation. Have that go somewhere if you want to have a relationship for Picard. Yeah, we get to be, like we get to have a relationship that's already has some groundwork established, so we don't have to start from square one. And there isn't that weird like you only met her an hour ago things. And also, we can drop the stupid freezing time stuff. Yeah, I mean, she freezes time twice, I think, and then later in the movie, she's hurt in a cave in, and Picard loves her so much that he's able to freeze time, which. <sighs> Don't get me started. And then they, like, okay, you did it, Picard. You saved time, and we got her in time to, to, to make her better. And then we never see her again. Like, what well, we do. Like, she shows up at the end, but there's no more exploration of that relationship. The peak of that relationship is Picard doesn't want her to die, so he stops time like she does. And it's never explained. It's never given any—it's not important for anything— like, 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 maybe if you wanted to build it into the final arc, like her being able to stop time lets him beat the bad guy somehow, but that doesn't even happen. So what's the point? No, remove the character entirely. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Oh, uh, so mad. <laughs> another thing that, that happens in all of these movies, and, and I feel like even more so in Nemesis, but I'm going to bring it up here, uh... Worf has so much growth over the course of Deep Space Nine, and yet whenever he pops up on in these movies, they just bring him back to old grumpy butt of the joke Worf. Can't can't hit anything when he shoots his phaser. Is is just there to be defeated, so you can tell how bad the bad guy is. And it's so disappointing if you're a fan of Deep Space Nine because he he is such a great character on that show. Yeah, God, the he, he his thing in this, so he gets a pimple and his hair grows long, and everyone's like ribbing him for it. Like everyone else is getting this teenager stuff too, but it's like, oh, Worf, you're so stupid. You need a haircut. Yeah. Oh, like, you slept in. You're late for work. Like, why would the characters like even if that was happening to the characters, why would they behaving that way? Why would they be bullying Worf about it? <laughs> and why would he take it? It's so yeah. out of character for these characters that we've seen for what nine years now. Yeah, it's it's yeah. They, they, as the movies go on, they become less and less familiar to me. They become movie characters, like the movie versions of themselves. Other than Jordy, I guess Jordy stays pretty consistently bland from the shows <laughs> up through the movies. But oh, everyone else are. becomes these these caricatures of themselves or, or they're just the actors and they're not playing characters anymore. They're just playing themselves. And they're so removed from the day to day of the show that they've lost the characters. I don't know what it is. Here's, here's another thing. And it's, it's again, this isn't a, a big deal, but in this movie, Worf shows up and, uh, they, they hand wave why he's there and why he's not on deep space nine. And they bring him along for this mission. And at one point, uh, Picard is like, Worf, it's great to have you back. And I can't help but think of the replacement chief of security who's nowhere to be seen in any of these movies, who's like, what the hell, guys? I'm, what, I'm right here. This is my job. Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, I guess that would have been Hawk. Um, so they would have had a new Hawk for this movie? I don't know. I, isn't Hawk the helmsman in First Contact? I don't know. 
Oh, I do think he's at one of the operations positions at one point. I'm not certain. I, I don't know where tactical is on the Enterprise E bridge. Yeah, that's true. It's, I think I think it's one of the forward positions. Anyway, you're right. Minor point, but yeah, it's it's kind of silly. We, like I think they have to hand wave that on a certain level. But I agree. <laughs> it just feels like a slap in the face to that poor unnamed extra. All right, so let's summarize. It's so the sonar gone. The fountain of youth is gone. There's something valuable on this planet. We can tie it into the Dominion War. That does come up. Um, and the, the Federation has gotten so desperate that they're breaking their own codes to trail of tears, these people, and Picard and the and the crew are going to stop them. Um, it's it's a difficult line to, to walk because you don't want it to become a white savior thing. I think having them be uh, an advanced people who have decided to renounce their warp engines and everything is a good way to do it. Um, th- and that's what they do in the movie, but it is a... A, a difficult line to walk. Yeah, I think maybe we need to give them some kind of cool thing that they have. I don't, I don't, I like, I don't want to go with the, the slowing down time, but it's in the movie, so let's do that. Maybe like not just Picard's girlfriend. I mean, to be fair, who doesn't exist in our version, but maybe these people are a super advanced society. It's kind of original series, right? They've given up on technology, but they have mental stuff. Yeah. Right, it's it's and so then like so the Enterprise crew is defending them with phasers and force fields and stuff, but they've got like they can mess with time and slow down the attacking Federation, you know, whatever it is, and 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 so from the bad Federation's perspective, like they're moving super quickly, they're doing some some flash like TV stuff, speed force <laughs> stuff. There you go. So now they have their own thing, and they're working together with Picard. And at the same time, Picard can be like, "Look, this isn't who we are, really." You know, like, really, we're who I am, Captain Picard. I'm what Federation is supposed to be, and we're going to make that clear. The Enterprise can still go to make its run to get back and broadcast to the galaxy what's happening. You know, it's ruined the the plan. Instead of getting jumped by Sona ships, they get jumped by other Federation ships, and we get some cool Starfleet on Starfleet. That gets really played out in the Kelvin universe, but at this point, I think it's still going to be fresh and new, so I think we're okay there. Yeah. Um, we can we can ditch Riker flying the ship with the joystick. Yeah, right? so unnecessary. My God, <laughs> just really, really like it comes like a pedestal comes like it's a big bridge, it's a big room, and n- not near any of the chairs. Like just at the middle of the room, it comes up out of the floor. This weird pedestal, like it looks like Saruman's Palantir. And then a yeah. lot, a joystick comes out of the top. Not even like a cool futuristic Starfleet joystick. Like I'm pretty sure it's a Gravis Thunderbird, like just painted <laughs> up for the movie. It's either that yeah, or I, a Logitech Wingman. But it's I just, do hate it. It's just a joystick. It is like, like why? I don't understand what it adds to the movie. Like, what difference just does it home, make if they're right? flying the ship from the helm instead of from a joystick? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really dumb, and and I I imagine it's meant to make it more cinematic somehow, but I really don't see how. It just looks so silly. I'm fixated on this. We have to move on. We're ditching the joystick. Um, I think that way it'll work out. Like the final climactic. All we need is the final climactic battle now. Like right now, it's Picard and Ruafo. Like he's trying to set off the techno babble thing that's going to drain all the fountain of youth particles. 
uh, what do we? What's the final showdown in our version? I mean, it's Picard versus the Admiral, I guess, but it's probably not still a fist fight or a Tarzan rope swinging competition, right? I hope not. Uh, I mean, it's bad enough that so many of these Star Trek movies involve middle-aged people getting into fistfights. It's just not fun to watch. Uh, okay, so maybe we just have it like a holdout. Like, you know, they've, they've evacuated the Baku into those mountains where they can't be beamed out, and the, like, the you know, bad Starfleet is closing in, and they're, they're holding them off. It's kind of like the end of Serenity. Um, but then just when it looks like there's like there's no hope left, the Enterprise comes back and it's okay, we've let everyone know and now everybody's mad and all the bad Starfleet people are under arrest. You managed to hold out for just long enough. Yeah, yeah, that works. Have it maybe it's like the the Federation doesn't know what they're doing, but that what Starfleet is doing. And so once the oh, Federation yeah, it's a knows Starfleet that's... thing, not a Federation thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Once the Federation knows, now Starfleet's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't love I I to me, and, and I I've my perspective on it has changed as I've gotten older and watched more of the shows and and seen different things. But I it always bugged me when Starfleet was the bad guy because I'm like Starfleet is Star Trek and Starfleet represents the best. And now yeah. I see it's really usually just our crews that are the best, and Starfleet has done some iffy things over the years, but. You know, I, I, I've got mixed feelings about making Starfleet a definitive bad guy in this, even though I, th- I, I know think it it's can be mostly corrected. because they've overdone it at this point. Right. right? That's like, true. Like all like 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 JJ does it a lot in his universe and Enterprise does it sometimes. And like they've they've made Starfleet the bad guy a lot at this point in time back in night. What is this? Nineteen ninety eight. I think we're still OK. All right, we we are are going long as usual, so let's let's move on to Nemesis. Get, let's crank this one out. Yeah, yeah, this one's on you to explain. I mean, <laughs> I, you, there's only plot for half the movie anyway, so the second half you get a, a, a you know a buy. <laughs> okay, so uh, it is uh, released December thirteenth, two thousand two. It's directed by Stuart Baird, one of his few directing credits. He's usually an editor. It was written by John Logan, who is a, a very talented screenwriter, which is surprising. Like he's, I think he won an Oscar for uh, Gladiator, and he's done amazing stuff before and after this. This is the outlier, and it is awful. <laughs> Let's be clear, this movie is a rarity in that following its release, the cast has come out and attacked the director. Like, they've, they have come out directly and insulted him, and, like, uh, just the stories have come out. Like, he didn't know any of the characters' names, and he didn't know any of the actors' names. He kept calling LeVar Burton Laverne. Uh, and the director has come out and said that he hated having to do this movie because he didn't want to work on a movie with an established universe and like pre-existing stuff. And he hated having to use like old sets. Like, like this was a huge mismatch from day one. Yes, definitely shouldn't have happened. It's it's one of those things where I think the studio had a deal with the director uh, to make X number of, to direct X number of movies. They needed a director for this. They wanted to get rid of this guy, get out of his contract. So they're like, we're sticking you guys together. And and it's just a terrible fit. Should have gone back to Frakes. Yeah, really. 
All right. Well, tell me about Star Trek Nemesis. What happens in this one? I mean, and I'm curious, frankly. I, I, I've watched it, but I, I, I still need someone to explain it to me. <laughs> I will do my best. So it starts with the Romulan Senate, which is unusual because the Romulans have not been much of a factor in any of the movies. And uh, so, so it's a cool place to start. We're going to see a species that hasn't had a lot of screen time. Uh, it's a, there's a senatorial stuff happening and uh this uh, there's word about this guy Shinzon and and he wants to do stuff with the the Romulan people and they're they're saying no thanks then one of the senators gets up to leave but she leaves this thing behind it opens up and kills everyone in there the whole Romulan leadership is is killed in front of our eyes in one fell swoop then we cut to the happy wedding of uh of uh, Riker and Troy and everyone's uh, cheersing and getting drunk, and Worf is the butt of the joke yet again. Uh, the, he, uh, we cut back to the Enterprise. The wedding's over. There's going to be a wedding on on Beta Z, and they're they're heading there. And once that's done, Riker and Troy are going to leave, so Riker can be the captain of his own ship, the USS Titan. Meanwhile, they pick up these this weird signals from this planet the a positronic net uh or positronic something or other which is all data stuff and they're like well that's weird we haven't seen these signals anywhere but in data so let's go check it out they go to this planet uh picard data and Worf get in a dune buggy and dune buggy around the planet to collect pieces of data uh then they get attacked by aliens on other dune buggies it's a really stupid unnecessary chase scene they put together this new data that they found, and he's an early version of data called B4, and he's got the mind of a child, and it's all very cutesy. Then they get word from Romulus that they want to talk and, and uh, open up diplomatic talks with the Federation, and the Enterprise is the closest one now because of this weird positronic detour. So they go there, they meet the new chancellor of the the Romulans or whatever it's called, and uh, it turns out that not he's not a Romulan, he's a Reman, and Remans are a species we haven't heard before. They're from like a sister planet of of Romulus, where they're weird bat aliens that have telepathic powers and mine dilithium for the uh, Romulans. I think they mine dilithium, which is weird because the Romulan ships don't use dilithium, but maybe they forgot that. Yeah, they, that's a good point that they, they do not address. <laughs> so they meet this this Shinzon guy, and dun-dun-dun, it's a young Captain Picard played by Tom Hardy in a very early role, which in retrospect is kind of wild to see, but at the time just seemed like weird, handsome, bald, young Patrick Stewart. Uh, and it's all all this talk about, oh, this is a mirror, this is a where where the opposite of each other and if you would be in my situation you'd be doing the same thing because we are the same it's all this trope of the the evil version evil twin uh but he's so he was cloned from picard in order to infiltrate starfleet and and replace our picard at a certain point and then that whole plan got dropped because there's new government and new ideas and so this little boy clone was sent to the mines of remus to die and he was adopted by the remans and ended up leading this revolt and now he's in charge of all of romulus he's got a new ship there's then and from that point on it basically becomes a big space battle he wants to get to earth and and blow it up with his 
Riemann ship powers, and uh, it's a Death also, Star. You can say it's, it. it's a, a radiation-based Death Star built into his super ship. But he also needs uh, Picard blood to fix this health problem that he's got a clone health problem, and uh, there's a lot of big empty fight scenes uh, before it was was planted on the planet in order to draw the Enterprise in, and he's been sending information to Shinzon. He's he's under Shinzon's control. Uh, but then they use that against him, and Data disguises himself as B4 to infiltrate the ship. It's it's all a lot of back and forth, and uh, they end up, Picard goes full action Picard and beams over and, and saves the day. He kills Shinzon. Uh, Shinzon's best buddy at some point in there uh, helps Shinzon kind of mind sexually assault Troy which is just awkward and awful and terrible and unnecessary. And, uh, yeah, the whole movie could be described that way. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're doing they, great. Hang in there, kid. <laughs> uh, Data sacrifices himself to save Picard. Picard uh, After Picard killed Shinzon, they're stuck on the ship as this whole thing is about to explode. Data, or, or destroy the Enterprise, Data throws himself in space, gets into the, the Romulan ship, saves Picard, blows up the ship and sacrifices himself. And, and, uh, the, the, there's a tearful, uh, wine ceremony celebrating the life of data before has data's memory engrams in him. So there's hints that maybe data isn't as dead as we think. And he'll be back in before's body. Riker and Troy leave to take command of the Titan. And, uh, they boldly go blah 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 and the end of the franchise happens here yeah this is so bad that they said okay enough star trek for a long time um and when they decided to get back to it they had to relaunch it with a new captain kirk this movie i you know what i still like it better than insurrection which isn't a compliment um i still think insurrection offends me more but this is a terrible movie <laughs> Yeah, there's so much unnecessary stuff, and and like like my first thing is get rid of the Remans. Yep. What purpose do they serve? I can't figure it out. The dramatic reveal is that the new head of the Romulan Empire is a Picard clone. So the species switcheroo there is Romulan to human. Why do you need Remans? Yeah, and I mean, like the Sona, there's nothing distinctive about them. Like they don't do anything cool as an alien species. They're just these weird, like Count Orlock-looking monster, like creatures that like don't do except for Ron Perlman, who's a weird monster creature who can also help you mind rape people. Yeah, and then have a stupid, unnecessary fist fight with Riker. Yeah, in, like, a factory on the ship. <laughs> like, they're on a ship, and Riker wins the fight by kicking him into one of those, like, eternal abysses. Yeah. Like, it's like, where is that on the ship? Yeah, yeah, it does, I mean, as we have, this is what what led to the weird, gigantic, empty turbo lift spaces in Discovery. Because once they saw this, they were like, oh, well, this must be how ships work. Instead of being like, no, that is not something that we should ever do ever again. Yeah, they're like, I mean, look, I've never been on a starship. I've been on a boat, you know, but I can tell you there were no cavernous abysses in the boat. Space was actually at a premium. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, first things first, let's ditch the Remans. I mean, if for no other reason that reminding us that the origin of the Romulans come from the 1970s or 60s, where we had Kirk fighting space Romans and it was ludicrous... Like, since then, the Romulans have evolved. Like, they no longer have feathered helmets and stuff. They've, they, like, they've reclaimed the name. They've become cool. Adding Remans, you have Romulans and Remans, just drags it back to that bullshit. Like, already that's enough reason to cut them. Besides the fact that they don't add anything else. Let's, so, yeah, let's ditch all of that. For sure. I, I think if you're going to do uh, Through a Mirror Darkly, get the, the evil twin thing going with, with Picard, I don't think like before also adds nothing when you've got lore sitting right there talking about recurring characters have lore be that thing that they find i i I mean i know already has an evil twin brother i mean yeah (laughs) it sounds silly but that's been established we don't hear a third one here is my big uh uh switch on this like if you're gonna do um the the whole thing about like nature versus nurture and the evil twin one of my favorite tropes in things is where the the like evil sibling or the evil character has a change of heart and joins your side. I want to have evil Picard and evil Lore be a team in this. I, I don't mind that. I think that could be interesting. I want them to be working. Maybe replace Ron Perlman with Lore. Have Lore be the person who's coaching evil Picard on. I love that idea. That helps. <laughs> that helps with the dark mirror so much that each of them has a data. But yeah, like, yeah, that's great. And then, and then maybe have lore turn, and and you know, Data can still die, and you can have lore be the replacement. And then he's, if you do continue the franchise from this point, now it's it's lore integrating with the Q or with the, with the crew, and and trying to prove that he's not a bad guy anymore going forward. Maybe have that be in there somewhere, but maybe that's putting a hat on a hat. Maybe you just have the full dark mirror thing. And if you really want to go full dark mirror, bring uh, bring Thomas Riker into it too. I think that's too much. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I know, but it's I was fun. just thinking it's about fun, all their evil twins. No, I think evil Picard and evil Data in the form of Shinzon and Lore is a great idea. Given that you know we're remaking this with the power of our imagination, seeing where. Well, maybe it doesn't even have to be de-aging. What I'm saying is, do we still need young Tom Hardy, or can Patrick Stewart play both roles? Hmm. Like, I'm kind of into having a movie version. I mean, it's not even Locutus, because Picard never faced down Locutus, unless you count the video games. Star Trek Armada, (laughs) so good. But... If you have Picard on the bridge of the Enterprise, played by Patrick Stewart, and Shinzon on the bridge of the, like, a Romulan, we have to get rid of the scimitar, too, we'll catch up with that, but, like, on, like, the Romulan antagonist, also played by Patrick Stewart, playing a very different character, I think that's cool. I mean, Tom Hardy didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't, like, his performance is is not the sell of the movie, you know? No, he, he never strikes me as a young Patrick Stewart at any point in his performance. Not I think close. I think he's he gives a fine performance, but it's not. It doesn't make me think of Patrick Stewart one bit. So and like his whole thing where it's like, oh, the face is a little different. I was tortured and beaten. My nose is broken. I was like, you look like a model. 
you have not been touched by uh, by sunlight never mind uh, a fist you like a broken nose where you're gorgeous like why why throw that in there yeah, and i can't figure out why they made him younger either like why is it important that shinzon is younger than picard a younger clone i don't know what that adds Getting a high young actor to play the part, drawing a different crowd. <laughs> I, mean, I don't not know. to disrespect t- Tom Hardy. I mean, he's he's hotter than I am, but I don't know. <laughs> he's hotter than Patrick Stewart is. He's hotter than is anyone he, in this movie is. Is he? Patrick Stewart is is rather dynamite. <laughs> he is a, a different kind, I suppose. Anyway, I think we can like we're good with that, right? Patrick Stewart playing both roles. I think that's really cool. Um, I like your idea of having lore on there. Too much of this movie revolves around the Reban Warbird Scimitar, their stupid godship. Um, nothing is terribly impressive about Shinzon. He has a very jazzy, reflective club outfit. <laughs> what makes him a threat is he has this giant death ship that looks vaguely like a Romulan ship if it got a lot of piercings in its nose. <laughs> Which maybe is appropriate for the young Shinzon thing, um, but like this is a dumb-looking ship, and it's also dumb conceptually because if this was a secret coup d'état, where did he get this super special warship that, you know, not only is the most powerful ship ever designed and with a perfect cloak that you can't even see through, but also has a Death Star built into it? Right. Um, yeah, there's a lot to to cram in there a lot to ask uh, of uh suspended suspending your disbelief to have to believe that the remans these this mining species has built that in secret on the other side of remus or something yeah so we're the remans gone i think we can have that it's a cool new romulan warbird and what i think we do is we have two two cool new romulan ship designs because the romulans themselves do get a cool movie warbird in this as well the valdor uh, which looks like a single-hull version of the traditional next-generation warbird, the Dideridex that we see, and they're pretty graceful. But I think, so I think we keep those, but we also have a cool new Romulan-looking ship. Um, I don't think it has a Death Star. I think what makes it a threat is that its captain is evil Captain Picard, and, you know, he's clever and a strategist and stuff. So instead of the plot being, well, I'm going to steal Picard's blood to fix my clone problem and then fly to Earth and Death Star it, I think we it's going to be, it's, it's baked right in there. I think it's going to be, I'm going to steal Picard's blood and fix my clone problem and then take my cool new warbird and the Enterprise and pretend to be Captain Picard and fly back to Earth and, you know, like... It's sort of a Sela thing, like we're sneaking ships across the border. Right. That yeah, works, like that. right? It's it's a yeah. little bit unification, but I, I think that's okay. Well, I mean, hell, the insurrection is practically that. I can't remember the name of the episode, but the, the one where Worf and his brother save the, the those people from the, the planet without letting them know they're saving them. Yeah. So yeah. we're already redoing uh, Next Generation episodes. Might as well keep going with it. So I also think that helps because if the Romulans are the antagonists, like instead of being a Death Star, it like the Romulans aren't about cool death lasers or so, anything. If anything, it's a Klingon thing. Maybe the Romulans are about cunning, right? They're about deception. Right. They're, they're the Loki. 
of the, the Alpha Quadrant species. So this complicated plan to draw in the Enterprise and swap out a clone Picard and sneak an invasion force into, you know, into, towards Earth, like, that's a cool Romulan thing. It adds that, like, that duplicitousness that we expect from them. I think that fits them more thematically than giant death ship. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so there's a part in this movie where there's uh, so much of the movie is just in in the middle of nowhere, and it's a spaceship fight, and it's a cool spaceship fight. And and at some point, the these Romulan ships come in to help the Enterprise fight Shinzon, and it's fine, but it sort of comes out of nowhere, and you don't know who these characters are, or like really why they're doing it, other than like Shinzon was kind of a jerk to the captain of one of the ships. And they don't Here's, change anything. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't accomplish anything. Here's my solution. Have Troy and Riker get on the Titan right after the wedding, and then have the Titan be the ship that comes in to help the Enterprise in that scene and give Ooh. them the Titan stuff to do there. That's interesting. I mean, you lose Riker, but Riker doesn't do much anyways for that whole part of the movie, right? It's, it's very much Picard and Data. So, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing, but I wouldn't even notice if Riker wasn't there until help arrives. No, like Troy has more to do, which is kind of cool that they gave that they gave. Well, her except stuff to that do. what they gave her was terrible. Having her yes. be a rape victim like, is. I, I can't understand the motivation behind that at all. And like, let's be clear, Troy is not Troy at all in this movie. Like, none of them are. Like, that's another thing maybe we should mention, that, like, whoever the characters are in this movie, like, they need to go and be replaced by characters from Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, like, quippy Picard, like, making fun of Data and, like, joking about going to the gym and fistfight Riker and domestic housewife Troy. Like, none of those characters have anything to do with who they were in the show. Yeah, I and I just for me one of the most jarring ones when I've I, I've rewatched this movie twice recently now. Uh, I'm sorry, that's, that's because of this, isn't it? <laughs> well, partly because of this, uh, but there's this one joke in it that really it, it's it's maybe it's just that times have changed, but it grates against me on so many levels. Partly just because it doesn't feel Star Trek. There's a part where where. Picard is leaving the bridge and he turns the 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 command of the ship over to to uh Mr. Troy, he calls Riker, and there are people on yeah. the bridge who like snicker about it, and it's like, what century is this? Like, why is that even a joke? And why is Riker offended by it? Like it would be one thing if if it was a joke and Riker rolled with it, or if if no one batted an eye at it, because it doesn't matter. It's a last name. It's so out of place. It's it, no, it, it's it is incredibly out of time, but it didn't make sense back then either. Both for why would Picard be teasing him about it? That Picard doesn't tease about anything. Yeah, and but also like, haha, you got married. Blah. Like, what a boomer attitude, you know? Like, oh, your life's <laughs> over now. Yeah, ball oh, and yeah, chain. the old ball and chain, huh? Like, it's yeah, it's oh, it's so uncomfortable. And there's a part later in the movie where he's like, oh, and if your first officer uh, tries to stop you from going on away missions, don't let him do it. And it's like, who are you? Like, what What have you done with Captain Picard? So weird. Okay. I mean, I don't blame us in a sense, but now we're just fetching. We got to get back on track. <laughs> 
So yeah, I don't even know what else there is to do at this point. I think we've improved it by leaps and bounds. Okay, so in our version, so we have the wedding. The happy couple gets on to the Titan. We don't see them again. We we skip B four entirely. Um, I, you know what? We don't need. Like, we don't need. I mean, we don't. We definitely don't need the jeep chase. But we don't need the Enterprise. Can just be the closest ship to the neutral zone. It doesn't need an explanation. They get hailed. They're the flagship. Yeah. It makes sense if they're going to open up diplomatic relations. Send the of course, flagship. send the Enterprise. So yeah, the wedding. Riker and Troy off to the Titan. Enterprise gets assigned to go to the Romulus. Uh, to the Romulus. To the Romulans. Um, in the movie right now, he gets assigned to the mission by Admiral Janeway, which is kind of a slap in the face. Um, but I, I get it. We want to keep marketing Voyager as well. But like, uh, geez, I don't know. I, we don't need to touch that. They go to Romulus. Um, big reveal, cool new Romulan ship. Here's the Praetor. Oh, it's Shinzon and 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 Lore. Well, Captain, I've always looked forward to meeting you. As you can see, I'm like you, but like through a mere darkly, blah, blah, blah. Find out he really wants the Picard blood. Big escape, shootout with the cool new Romulan ship. Uh, a couple good Romulans enter the fray. The Titan shows up. The I don't cl- get rid of the good Romulans. Get rid of the good Romulans? I really no, like those mean? ships, but okay. So have the ships be what, what Picard's on. I mean, sorry, what Shinzon's on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, have him on a cool one of the cool new Warbirds, one of the Valdors. They have so many names in the, like, people are trying to figure <laughs> out this. It's either the Valdor or the Norexin or the Mogai. It doesn't matter. New Warbird. Titan shows up, evens the odds. The climax of this movie right now is... Picard beams aboard. I'm still not sure why uh, to go like kill Shinzon himself uh, and blow up <laughs> yeah, the Death Star so reactor, which is built directly into the bridge because reasons. Because it's uh, easy. It, 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 geographically, it makes the final scene easy. Yeah, they have to build one less set, I guess. God, and let me, boy, Shinzon's throne room is the worst movie set. Like, it stands <laughs> out. It's like they forgot to do it until the last minute. Anyway. So we just need a way for this movie to end. How does this I, movie end? And if we still want to kill Data, how do we do it? All right. So, so one of the things that I I really did disliked about this ending, watching it uh, in the last couple of days, was they they spend this whole thing about you're the evil version of me, you're the dark mirror, we're so alike, and the final scene between them is just a fight, and they like shoot, and then. Then he Shinzon gets stabbed on this wall ornament that Picard pulls down, and then he like drags himself suicidally along this jagged pole, and that's it. There's there's I think he has one line of dialogue. They don't have a conversation. That's what it needs to be. There needs to be more of a dialogue there. That this is it's not a movie that should end in a fist fight when all of it is about is like duality and identity. Have them have some sort of conversation. Have that be the end of the movie. It can still be climactic, or there could be a fight involved there, but there needs to be more to it than just punching. So essentially, it's a, like, you can be more than you are conversation. Like, Shinzon is, you know, he's basically saying he's trapped by his circumstances into becoming a monster. So is it him doing, like, the same thing would have happened to you if you led my terrible life? And Picard saying, no, you can be more? 
Yeah, or like you, you don't, you're not a prisoner to it. You can break free of this. I don't know, something like that. Uh, uh, there's, I'm sure, some tearjerker speech there. Like, Mama wouldn't want this for you. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> so then we need to take that and we need to apply it to data and lore, which is tricky, especially if you want to redeem lore at the end. We. I mean, that that may be more that we need to, uh, that may need more thought than we have time for right now. Uh, but I do, I, 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 let's, let's drop the lore redemption arc for now and, and just have it be, maybe that could be where the, the fight happens. It's a data and lore fight as, uh, and it, you know, there's only the ability to beam one person off, and so Picard gets rescued, and Shinzon sacrifices himself so he can help Data defeat Lore and stop the ship from destroying the Enterprise or Earth or whatever. Uh, like maybe Lore is like the you know the Vizier whispering in the ear all along. Yeah, like it turns out Lore was the real bad guy all along. Yeah, I think that makes sense and and works with the character because he's always been so evil. <laughs> Yeah, it's still it's still not great, but it's an improvement. I don't know. I mean, we like I'm comparing it to Star Trek five in our previous episode where we ditched most of the movie. I think we came up with something really cool there here. I don't think I don't know that there's enough material to rebuild it to make it watchable. It I mean, I I think we've got the, the blueprints for something. I think it's possible to make a watchable. I don't know if we've got enough to to make it a great movie, but it's definitely an improvement. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll call it at three and a half movies for now. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, it gives yeah. uh, our listeners a chance to chime in. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, that's what we've got. Uh, we know you demanded it. More Trek rewrites. That is all the the all of the classic Star Trek movies covered, uh, with the possible exception of Star Trek Nemesis. That maybe needs a little more time in the oven. Do you have an idea that might help us put this one to bed? Is there some crucial plot point we could add in that would really make this like some ingredient that would add just the right flavor to the cake? Um, listen, we we did this episode because you demanded it, and if you've got comments, we'd love to hear from you because, frankly, we may be a little stuck. Graham, how can they get that stuff to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. Always look forward to interacting you with our fans and just as always want to say thank you. Um, we really appreciate the you know everything you send us. It's great to be able to do this. It's great to connect with you folks through the show. Uh, while we're giving out thanks, we also want to mention Jamie Reum, R-E-A-U-M-E, uh, our musician-in-chief, the guy behind our theme song. Check him out at uh, Jamie Reum Official or Jamie underscore Reum at YouTube and Instagram, uh, respectively. And uh, and and I don't. Uh, in conclusion, I don't know that this is entirely put to bed. We may have to revisit this. Uh, making a new Star Trek Nemesis maybe it's uh, a whole other episode. <laughs> that might be something we have to look forward to. Um, let us know what you think about that. In the meantime, uh, you know, insurrection. Uh, but but first contact is great. 
and Star Trek Generations is pretty good. I think our improvements to them would be welcome, but they are definitely worth your time. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, they're available all over the place right now. Um, they've always been cheap on iTunes. Uh, and frankly, if you can still find a DVD store, those discs are everywhere. That should keep you busy until we have a chance to do this again. Uh, until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5, Trek Rewrites Part 2. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>